Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. your Bibles and you would like to follow along, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. So, uh... Last Wednesday, a week ago, so it's like, you know, 10 days ago or something, my wife went to a dog show uh, to participate in a dog show in Colorado Springs. And while she was gone, and she knew it was coming, while she was gone, I built her a uh, deck all along the back side of the house. Now, when you come out the back door, there was already like a little 10 by 10, but we extended it all the way down to the end of the house. It looks beautiful, but I've been, and I, I'm not going to get into whether you agree with my statement or not. That's not the point, but I was diagnosed with ADHD, but it's not really the hyperactivity. It's a AD is an attention problem, but mine is that I hyper-focus. And that makes me really good at ministry sometimes of coming up with sermons and stuff like that. But it also has unintended consequences because when I start a project, guess what? I cannot stop until it's done. I hyper focus on it. And so I started working on Wednesday and I just was trying to get it done by Saturday or no Sunday whenever Cammie got back and I was not able to do that. And so I was working uh, literally I'd start in the mornings and when I mean by work there was sometimes that work entailed running to Parker and you know, picking up some wood or you know something that I'd messed up or some more screws or something like that. But I was working daylight till dark for uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I did not work on Sunday. That's, that's God's day. But then, you know, I started back on Monday, and I had made a lot of headway in the first few days, you know, but then that trim work, you know, trying to get everything together, that took as long as building the whole deck did and framing stuff out. But really the reason I did it was for Cammy. I promise you I would not have spent all of that money to do this on my own, right? But what my wife wants, I pay attention to, right? As any good husband should. But not only that, it was because I had Jake and Jace Ray, my two adopted kids from, uh, from China, and both of them helped me the entire time. Now, Jake, who's blind, his job was to sit on the deck, and when we got thirsty, he would go get us something to drink. And that was probably one of the most important things that there was. Now, Jace was doing more of the physical labor, but the point is that it was for somebody else, right? But after all, and usually, usually, I'm a really, I'm, I'm a pretty good sleeper. Because, I, you know, I, I work hard and stuff like that, and I usually sleep good. But when I have something unfinished, I don't sleep very good. So we branded on Wednesday out at the ranch a few set of calves that were left over and people came and I had to go get my horses because we were moving some cattle through that pasture and I wasn't going to rope or ride. I was just going to flank and brand, but I had to go get my horses 
out of the pasture. So I take the, the little Kubota side by side and I go out to get the horses. Well, the dogs had already been let out and we have a, a client dog, a guy that travels a lot and uh, Cammie helped raise this, this uh, Irish setter. And she, she's a doll. I mean, she loves to play fetch. She's outgoing, she's bubbly, she's happy. But she had never gone, she had never seen me go get the horses before. And she went with me to get the horses. And so in order to get my lazy horses to go towards the pen, you kind of got to booger them a little bit and make them kind of run off that way. Else they'll just stand at the front of the side by side and look at you. Right? So I had to get them moving. Well, they moved and then they started kicking up and farting and bucking, right? Well, Maple thought that was amazingly fun. So she ran with the horses. Now, she wasn't chasing them. She wasn't even close. She was just, this is great. And here goes the horses. I'm like, maple! I've, have y'all ever went apoplectic? Does that, does that ring a bell? Have you ever had, do you know what I mean by a conniption fit? Okay. Yes, yes. Ty heard it a quarter of a mile away. I was blessing her. We'll, just, we'll say that, okay? So I'm yelling at her, my ball! Which it wasn't no big deal because she wasn't chasing the horses. She really wasn't. She was just running with them. And they thought they were being chased, right? Which I know it's the same difference, but the dog wasn't trying to be mad. You know, she wasn't running them through the fence or anything like that. Well, when they got to the pen and they know what they're supposed to do, they threw their tails up and went right by it into another pasture. And now I'm real mad, right? Because I haven't slept in one week more than one hour at a time. I mean, just wake up and like, you know, you're sawing and you're, you're building in your mind and you're sermoning and there's too much going on. And for some reason, on Wednesday morning, that's when I hit my limit. So they went into this other pasture and I'm screaming and hollering because that works. And they went into the pasture where the kids' camp was a couple of weeks ago, and unbeknownst to me or anybody else, nobody shut the gates. Guess where my horses went? Paya, right out the gate. There they go, towards Kiowa Bennett Road. And now I am beyond conniption. I am livid. Livid, and I want somebody to blame. I want somebody to take the punishment for my victory. I wasn't doing very well. Let's just say that. I was not doing very well. I was so mad. So exhausted. And isn't it funny when you reach your limit, how you can get to a point that you become so frustrated it feels overwhelming. That's what it was like that day. That's what it was like. To keep from taking out my frustrations on four-legged and two-legged animals of various size, shapes, colors, and temperaments, I went in the house and I sat down 
and I physically shook. I physically shook. I was that tired. I was that exhausted. I was that, I was hurting that much. And while I didn't sweat blood while I prayed that morning, sitting on the couch, but I did leak some suffering out of my eyes for just a second. It was that bad. I was that tired. Like, I just didn't know what else to do. I just sat there, and I just prayed, and my wife just hugged me while I shook. I mean, like, I just reached my limit. See, no one, no one is immune to suffering. No one is immune to suffering, but while the rest of the world tries to avoid it, the Christian life looks it in the eyes and says, try me, try me. And that's a tough, tough stance to take because there are three types of suffering. You know, we, we talk about suffering a lot, but, but I think we have to understand what the suffering is because there's basically, in a nutshell, three types of suffering. The first type of suffering is life suffering. No person except psychotic people are immune to this, right? I mean, like, you know, tornadoes, floods, anything, natural disasters, famines, government corruption, mass shootings, or whatever. I mean, like, stuff that is beyond your control. You did not do anything to, to, to deserve this. It's just life. Listen, you're going to die, and so are the people that you love. And you'll suffer when the loved ones do die. You'll suffer for it, but, but you haven't done anything wrong. It's just part of living in this sinful world, and one day that will be eradicated. But as for now, they're suffering with life, and, and, and you're not doing anything wrong. It's just part of it. So the three types of suffering, the first part is just life, right? There's nothing you can do. Good things happen or bad things happen to good people, right? The next type of suffering is what I like to call consequential suffering. Consequential suffering. Uh, these are the effects of foolishness at best or stupidity at worst. You know, listen. You go over there, so we have some Vishla puppies, and uh, Vishlas are one step down from a uh, Belgian Malinois in their energy level, and you have to exercise them, and as they're growing up and everything, they started jumping the fence already. Actually, they're climbing the fence. So guess what I did? I went and took my two-mile hot wire charger and hooked it up to the dog yard. There's consequences to touching that wire and trying to climb out. I only heard two yelps. <laughs> that means I have four other smart, smart dogs, <laughs> and they are for sale. Uh, so anyway, there's consequential sufferings. Listen, man, you pee on the electric fence, it's going to hurt if it's on. Okay? If it's on, it's going to hurt. There, listen, man, we can't just go through life thinking that it doesn't have consequences, right? There are consequences to what we do. The Bible calls that you reap what you sow, 
right? And, that, and it works for good or bad. You know, there are consequential suffering. Uh, the suffering brought about what we should have known better, right? Well, I just, I totally turned my back on God and I didn't do anything the way he said and I just don't understand why this is happening. Huh. Can you repeat that just one more time? <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. And so uh, this is a, the, the, the consequential suffering is kind of like a jack around and find out, right? You jack around, you're going to find out. But there's another type of suffering. We talked about life suffering. We talked about consequential suffering. And then there's Christian suffering, okay? Then there's Christian suffering. This is suffering solely, only because you are trying to live for God. This is as a result of you following God. How about uh, the, the suffering you will endure when you love others that don't love you back? You'll suffer for that. It's not easy. And, and fortunately or unfortunately, we don't get credit in heaven for loving those that love us. We get credit in heaven for loving those that don't, which leads to Christian suffering. Uh, how about suffering because you have taken the stance of John the Baptist? And I don't mean eating, eating locusts and, and wearing camel hair. I'm talking about when, Jesus, when John said, I must become less, he must become more. You think it's easy to, to willingly make less of yourself? Isn't that in direct opposition to the way this world works? It's a me first world and God says, try it the other way. You'll suffer for that. It's hard, right? How about enduring persecution for your beliefs? You know, uh, Matador, Texas, uh, had a catastrophic tornado a couple of, about a month ago or so, and I, and, I, and I posted on social media, prayers for Matador, Texas. That's a cowboy community, little bitty old town, neat town, right? Kind of out by the four sixes and all of that type of Texas. And I put, pray for Matador, and I had a personal message that told me that I was an idiot, that prayers didn't work, and that I was taking the Christian easy way out instead of actually doing something to help, I'm just sitting in my little comfort zone asking for prayers. <laughs> I didn't even say, I didn't even respond to that. It, you know, what's the point, right? But what I'm saying is when you try to live for God, there's gonna be opposition to it that, if you're not careful, can lead to suffering, right? I have entitled today's sermon. Well, I'll get to that in a second. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul tells his young protege, Timothy, who he's been working with, he's Timothy has gone with him on some of these missionary journeys, and now Paul has left Timothy at a church so that Timothy can appoint elders and, and teach those people, right? And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul tells his young protege to go out and teach others what he has learned from Paul. It's not rocket science. Paul taught Timothy. Timothy's supposed to teach others, right? This is not 
any different than what I ask y'all to do every week. I try to give application-based messages so that y'all can take steps to further grow in, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? So that's what Paul's doing. He's like, hey, man, well, everything that I've taught you, don't forget to teach others while you're appointing elders and everything. Take what, you know, Paul's saying, take what you've learned and use it to grow closer to God through loving him and loving others, right? But of all the things that Paul had taught Timothy, of all the things that Paul has taught Timothy, Paul puts the importance of knowing how to suffer as the first thing. That is the very first thing that Paul says for Timothy to teach the believers. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, Paul says this, You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. So to be trustworthy in God's eyes, it is somebody that has learned truths and who will be able to pass these truths along to others in word and deed. Right? Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Endure suffering along with me. Endure suffering along with me. In other words, you, don't, you can be the Apostle Paul that gets blinded by the, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ himself, and appears to him in a vision. He's baptized, scales fall off his eyes. He gets to change his name from Saul to Paul, right? Even Paul, writing two-thirds of the New Testament, was not immune to suffering. What makes us think that we are, Right? Paul then gives three ways to learn to endure suffering. But that endure suffering, I want you to think about something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to ch not change the meaning of it. I want to change your perspective of it. And this is what I feel like God showed me. To endure suffering, it's not meaning that you have to be a pathetic pansy that gets used to being bullied by the devil, okay? That does not mean endure suffering. Nobody is asking you to stand there and just get the crud beat out of you every day by the devil and his demons, okay? That is not what Paul means to endure suffering, okay? That's not enduring suffering. That's being a victim. Victims lose. We are already victorious, are we not? We are already victorious. So how do we endure suffering from a standpoint of victory, right? The Bible, the Bible says that the devil is prowling around. I'm going to choke to death on my gum. Ow. Uh, the Bible says that the devil is prowling around seeking someone to devour, some of you feel, may feel like you're being devoured right now, right? I felt that. I felt it this past week, maybe for the last 10 days, 
right? The Bible says that the devil is prowling around seeking someone to devour. Jesus told Pete that the devil was trying to sift him like wheat, but that Jesus had prayed that Pete would remain strong. That's in Luke 22, right? What Paul tells us and Timothy, the devil is prowling around like a ravenous lion seeking someone to devour, right? What Paul tells us through Timothy is not, is how to endure suffering. But instead of doing it like a victim, you know what God wants you to be? Dangerous prey. How about learning how to be dangerous prey? Because we're never going, us on our own are never going to be able to defeat the devil. He's powerful. I mean, like, I don't know all he can do, but he can do a lot, right? I mean, he's more powerful than us. He's a predator, and we can't change the fact that we're the prey, but we can. We can become dangerous prey. We are not to be baby gazelles, but badgers, right? You ever seen a badger on those nature documentaries going up against lions and leopards? They're like, uh-uh. How about, how about those poking pigs, those porcupines? They'd be walking right through a pride of lions, and they're like, uh-uh. Uh-uh. I ain't touching that. We got to learn to be dangerous prey. We, we can't. We know that we'll never be able to beat the devil on his own. While we are prey for him, because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking somebody to devour, we can become dangerous prey. When the prey is armed, the predator is cautious and will often leave. I didn't say it. God did in James 4, 7. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You become like a honey badger, man. When that lion comes to seek somebody to devour, show your teeth and go right at him. But you better be prepared when you do that. You better be prepared. And that is exactly what Paul does. He teaches us how to be prepared. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, and I will be reading the rest, most of the rest of this out of the Simplified Cowboy Version. If you don't have one, get one. It's cool. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, Simplified Cowboy Version. Cowboys don't get messed up in city people's thoughts and desires. They only care about what the cow boss says to do, right? We are to live to please God and do what he wants us to, right? Not please the world and be popular yet polluted. Because if you're popular with the world, I guarantee you're polluted by the world, right? If you're popular with the world, you're polluted by the world. What Paul is telling us is that absolutely no one's opinion supersedes that of what God thinks about a situation and wants from you for you right absolutely no opinion supersedes what God says see cowboys shouldn't get involved in herd politics right you know what I mean by herd politics when we're gathering cattle we don't care if they like each other we gather them, we work them, we do what's best for them. See, pecking orders don't influence us, right? We care about being, we should care about being holy, not whether others like how we do it, 
right? Our only aim should be to please God, and in doing so, we love others and fulfill what He wants, right? If you want to learn to be dangerous prey, you have got to focus only on what God wants for your life. Not what you want, not what you like, not what you wish it was, not compared to somebody else's life. You worry about what God wants from you. To become dangerous prey, you'll have to devote all of yourself to the man and mission of Jesus Christ and never, never settle for less than what God has to offer. And what God has to offer is he says, man, when you follow my way, you will find love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. You will find joy that surpasses all understanding. You will take the hard way and find the best views. You'll pay for it when you get there. To become dangerous prey, you must devote all of yourself to the man and mission. Do things the way Christ said to do them. You can't do them the way he did them because you're not God. But you can follow his example, right? To become dangerous prey, devote all of yourself to the man and mission of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 5, Paul says this. 2 Timothy 2, verse 5, in the simplified cowboy version. Bronc riders won't take home a buckle if they don't get their mark out. They have to follow the rules to win. And, and, and if some of y'all aren't familiar with that, what happens is on any bronc ride, whether it's bareback or saddle bronc, when the horse leaves the chute, your spurs have to be over above the point of the shoulders. It don't matter if you ride the rankest bronc, it's the best ride in the entire world. Nobody has ever seen your equal. If your spurs are not above the point of that shoulder when the gate opens, it is a no score, right? So Paul says, bronc riders won't take home the buckle if they don't get their mark out. They have to follow the rules to win. What does that mean for us? That means that there's no shortcuts, folks. There's no shortcuts. You're not going to be able to get where God wants you to be by not doing what he says to do. And, and I know that that seems so simple, but that there's a deepness to that. You cannot get where God wants you to go without doing it the way he says. You're not going to accidentally fall into heaven. I didn't even know who Jesus was, but one day I gave this kid a piece of candy and he got me in. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. Like, you got to follow the rules. To, if, if you want to partake of God's goodness, there's only one way to do it, and that's to follow the way he says to do it. There are no shortcuts or, or exceptions to the Christian life. If you don't play by the rules, you've already lost. I mean, it doesn't matter how good you do after that, right? you got to follow the rules. So, uh, not before last Friday, I took the boys back to their mom and we stopped off at one of Cammie's best friend's house and had supper and we played a game called Swoop. And listen, I'm not a very good card game player because I will take it to the nth degree to try to win. Like I'm very competitive and like I don't really like it about myself. 
uh, but I am. And so in, in this game, like any card game, there's rules to the game, right? There's consequences. And part of the deal, it's, and I'm not going to explain the whole game to you, but the game works like this. Like somebody plays a king, you have to play a king or under, right? And so whatever you play, the next person has to play that card or under. And there's other little rules that you can do, but that's the basic premise of the game. Well, at the end, if somebody runs out of their cards, they win that hand and everybody else has to count up their cards. Well, you don't want to be left with a wild card or, one, or like a king, because those are worth massive amounts of points and it's the person with the lowest amount wins. But see, they don't keep score. They don't keep score though. So I know the rules and I was playing by the rules even though there's no consequences to having 15 wild cards left in your hand, right? I was playing as if you're going to be docked for what's left in your hand. Nobody else was playing like that, and I lost for 30 minutes straight. I did not even get close because I was playing as if we were keeping score. Nobody else was. And that changes how the game can be played. Because when there's no consequences for holding on to bad cards, you can just screw your neighbor all over. So I traded places with my lovely wife and I showed her what that felt like. <laughs> and for the next 30 minutes, I won three out of four hands. I won 75% of the hands after that because I quit playing by the rules. I mean, I still played by the rules, but I played as if there was no consequences. And you can't do that in God's kingdom. You can't do that in God's kingdom. See, rules are there for a reason because rules, while they may hurt the loser, rules reward the victor. We want rules in God's kingdom because that means we get the reward. If there's no rules, there's no reward. There's no reward for playing by the rules, right? But in God's kingdom, there are rules. If you're not playing by the rules, you're, I mean, and we're talking about God now, we're not talking about swoop. If you're not playing by the rules, you're either not a Christian at worst, or more likely, you're just a baby gazelle that doesn't understand the ways of the savannah, right? Just walking out getting murdered every single day because you don't understand the rules. You've got to learn to play by the rules. See, Dangerous prey, however, if you're dangerous and you know the rules, you get to know the devil and his schemes. Not only you won't be able to avoid them, but you'll be able to beat him. Not because of who you are, but because of who is living inside of you. And it's those rules that allow that power to come out of turning away from sin and loving others more than you love yourself or just as much as you love yourself. Dangerous prey knows the devil and his schemes and while they can't be avoided sometimes, they can be resisted. And the only way to do this, the only way to learn to resist is through godly living, training, and execution of doing what God says to do, the way he says to do it, 
why he says to do it. It's not rocket science. And finally, we get to the coolest part about being dangerous prey. See, it's not always bad stuff. It won't seem like much at first, but with practice, it becomes a fierce weapon in our battle against sin and Satan. The last one, found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6. Ranchers should enjoy a good steak. They worked hard to give others. Wow. That doesn't seem like suffering, does it? But it's a part of it. It's the result of it. Ranchers should enjoy a good steak. They worked so hard to give others. Now, you have to understand what that means. Ranchers should enjoy a good steak. They worked hard, worked hard, blood, sweat, and tears that they worked hard to give to others. This is what Save the Cowboy does. We get to enjoy a good steak that, they, that we worked so hard to give others. If and only if we have done these other things and become dangerous prey, do we get to enjoy the fruits of our labor. See, most people seldom get this far. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Most people don't get this far, mainly, mainly because they try to enjoy all the fruits of their labor. They try to enjoy all the fruits of their labor. And the sad fact is, God will not allow this, yet so many Christians try to, right? And you're like, what are you talking about? Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Did you know that 90% of your gross income will accomplish more and go further than 100% will? Let those with eyes hear. Let those with eyes hear. Let those with eyes hear, right? That's my shortened version of it. 90% of your income will go further and do more than 100% will, right? But see, 90% of Christians will never know that because they won't let go. They'll give their lives, but they won't give their money. And this ain't about it. This is the one thing that God says in the Bible that you can test him on. He said, give me 10% and I'll open the floodgates of heaven so that your blessing will fill up and pour out into your lap. Test me on this. I'm not here to convince y'all. God takes care of us. But my gosh, <laughs> oh, if we believe in God and we trust in what he says, and if he says that 90% will get you this and 100% will get you nothing, what are we doing? What are we doing? You know when my financial troubles absolutely positively stopped? The day I started giving 10% of it away, and that was 18 years ago. 18. 18 years ago, and I'm a cowboy and preacher, which is the worst financial decision you can ever make. <laughs> ever. Like there's, I mean, like missionary might be the other one, but I'm a missionary to cowboys, so there's my deal. But it's not just about money. Listen, do you know that if you focus on yourself and your own happiness all the time, you know you'll be sad? You focus on yourself 
You're going to be sad. You give to others, and you'll be amazed at the results. Ranchers should enjoy a good steak. They worked ho- so hard to give others, to give others. Did you know that becoming less will actually make you more? Do you feel like there's, there's nothing left in your life? You're not excited about anything? Then, then become less. Give yourself away and see what happens. See what happens. Did you know that doing things for yourself will never fulfill you like doing the same thing for others without thought of reward? You see, I finished the deck yesterday. (laughs) I finished the deck yesterday. And for the first time, the first time, I sat on Cammie's new deck and enjoyed a glass of wine on a deck that I would have never built by myself, for myself. Would have never done it, not in a million years. Don't, don't really care. But sitting on that deck last night after that rain came through, as that sun was going down and there's thunderstorms to the north, there's thunderstorms to the south, beautiful colors, I felt a peace that surpasses all understanding. And that's what happens when you work hard for the sole benefit of others. I built it for Cammie and chose to do so when my sons were on summer break with me. I only did it for Cammie, Jake, and Jace Ray. But the peace that I felt was amazing. See, that's what dangerous prey gets for being dangerous. That's what dangerous prey gets. I was sitting on the couch when everybody showed up with the cattle to brand. So I went out there, me and Cammie did. And I walk up and I guess I had that forlorn look on my face because Ty looks at me. And he says, you doing okay? And I said, no, not really. I, I'm, I'm really struggling right now, Ty. And he goes, well, what's going on? I said, well, the dang dog was running with the horses and some, you know, the gates got left open. And he goes, I know, I saw it. I was laughing my butt off. <laughs> Those were his exact words. I know, I saw, I was laughing my butt off. And I'll be honest, that really bothered me. I'm not lying. It bothered me because it wasn't funny at all to me. But then I realized, but then I realized that I had become dangerous prey that morning. And I had resisted the devil. What's better than a branding, right? What's better than building a deck for your wife with your kids so that all may enjoy it? What's better? And that devil, you know when he's going to come at you? When you're exhausted. When you're tired. When you're having a great day. He's going to attack you. He's going to attack you. What will you do? Will you be a victim? Or will you be dangerous prey? See, Ty wasn't laughing at me. He was laughing with me because he's been there. He's been there. And you know what? 
I bet you have too. So, unless you want to be laughed at, don't come to us. Because we will laugh at you and we will love you at the same time. Because you know what? When you're going through it, we're going through it. And if you want to be able to resist that devil, you must become dangerous prey. And if we must face off with a powerful predator hell-bent on your eternal destruction, we better, we better be dangerous prey. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, I thank you for who you are, and I thank you for loving us. God, we come up with so many excuses of, of why we don't do this or why we don't do that. God, let, let us just grab a hold of you and never look back. Let us do what you tell us to do. Say what you want us to say. Be who you want us to be and go where you tell us to go. God, it is an amazing life when we forget ourselves and focus on you and others. Only then can we enjoy a good steak that we work so hard to give others. And that right there surpasses all understanding. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.